2: The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world, by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, The Reasonable Voice, and I welcome you to The Reasonable Voices talk radio show. Today, my guest, Sophie Robinson, who is the executive producer and director of outreach for the documentary, The Age of Consequences. Now, some reviewers have said the age of consequences is like the hurt locker meeting uh, an inconvenient truth because the age of consequences investigates the impact of climate change, resource scarcity like food, water, you know air, migration, like a lot of what we're seeing now from the Middle East into Europe, and conflict, what comes from that, and we've certainly seen conflict. But it's told through the lens of U.S. national security and global stability. Wow. Sophie Robinson, in addition to being a filmmaker, is a former grassroots climate organizer who has changed paths to pursue filmmaking for social change which I certainly adore. Sophie has um, psychology and environmental science degrees from Williams College and is currently working toward a master's degree in sustainability and environmental management from Harvard, no less. Welcome, Sophie Robinson, to the Reasonable Voices show.
0: Thank you so much, and thank you for that generous introduction.
2: Well, it was all true, so there it is. Your, Your reputation precedes you, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> the the age of consequences um, we should mention makes its world premiere yes 2016 hot docs Canadian International Documentary Festival is that true that's
0: correct May May first yeah that'll be our world premiere and we're in the special presentation section which is a special honor so oh. we'll be premiering May first and we're we're
2: excited to be in Toronto so so tell us what is special about the special presentation program. And how did you get that? Uh,
0: sure. Um, so when we submitted to Hot Docs, we got an email back saying that we were accepted, and not only accepted, but accepted in the special presentation section, which is really just an extra honor. I mean, I think that just means they're kind of highlighting the films that are in that section and um, doing more around outreach for them. Well,
2: it's special. sounds special to me. Are you a, uh, Are you a regular part of the PF Pictures team or... Did you come on board for um, the Age of Consequences?
0: I just came on board for the Age of Consequences. Um, so I found the, I found PF pictures through the work I was doing before this and um, then we decided to collaborate on this project. So I'm not, a, I'm
2: not a, an official member. Okay. Well, they must have liked the work you've done before. Tell us something about what you've done before joining them. Sure.
0: So I was a grassroots climate change organizer for two years. I coordinated the Group 350 Massachusetts, which is in Massachusetts, and it's a statewide network of climate activists. We had 10 locations across the state. And so I just kind of helped manage the volunteers doing the work that they were doing and tried my best to make their work as easy as possible.
2: Mm. Excellent. I think there are two loves that cannot be separated or should not be because film has such power to form public opinion, to educate the public. What do you think?
0: Absolutely. I mean, that's really why I came to this group, because as an organizer, um, I saw the impact that their previous films had on organizing. So they had done two films in particular. One was called Do the Math that came out in 2013, I believe.
2: Yes. And,
0: and that was on the film McKibben tour, and um, so I was coordinating 350 Massachusetts, so we used that film a lot, and our volunteers... Use that film again and again even years after it came out to get people involved um you know to watch it for the first time to open discussion because film is a really accessible tool you know anyone can sit down and watch a film and experience it and it just it gives a platform for discussion that I think is you know a really beautiful tool in that in that way so I saw that and then a few, a few years later, they did Disruption, which was the film that was released in the lead up to the People's Climate March. Yes. And I was coordinating buses to go there and coordinating 31 buses to go. So I really saw, you know, after the film come out, came out, how many more people signed up to get down there to New York to be part of it wow. and how excited they were and how many more people they wanted to recruit after they saw the film. Even people coming from California, you know, they were like, I saw the film and I have to be there.
1: Mm.
0: So that just really uh, inspired me. And when I was burnt out from organizing, I thought, well, I've, I have to work with those guys. Like, I have no other choice. But, you know, that's what I need to do. So through my connection with 350, um, I was introduced to them. And actually the night before the People's Climate March, I met Kelly Nikes, who is one of the PS Pictures, He's one of the other founders of PF
2: Pictures, Uh
0: and we had a great discussion and then kind of took it from there.
2: Yes, and and what's Kelly's last name again, NY, what what is it? N-Y-K-S. N-Y-K-S, yes. And along with the director of The Age of Consequences and Requiem for the American Dream, Jared P. Scott, so... Uh, I can see how they would look at you and your ability for political organization and advocacy and say this would be a great uh, executive producer because you know most mm-hmm. people think producers just sign checks, but no they they get it all together and hold it all together, would you say?
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's one thing that they especially appreciated coming from their current project of Requiem if they didn't have anyone on board who could kind of direct the outreach of the campaign and of the film. Yep. Um, and so I think when they saw that I could bring that to the table, it's just a huge bonus that filmmakers don't often think of, you know, they kind of focus on making the film.
2: And then after the film is done, it's like, Oh, well, it will, it will just be released. But <laughs> if you have
0: someone on, on the team who can really focus on the outreach push and making sure it has the biggest impact as possible, that's really going to, you know, that's where the big change comes through.
2: You know, that's so true. Uh, I speak from personal experience, and I'm constantly having learned that lesson, I hope. I, I tell people who hire me, you know, it takes more than my making the, the product. You, you uh-huh. it, it then has to, the public has to become aware of the product and love the product enough to tell all their friends. And the people mostly seem, in and out of the business, they seem always surprised to hear that. Somehow it's right. kind of a assumed uh, magic, I don't know. But tell us, you know, we hear the term outreach, that word so often in, as it uh, as it is a part of education programs. And I, of course, I think much of the documentaries that uh, PF does is certainly about educating and motivating the public to take action. But exactly what, give us some specifics about how you as an executive producer of a documentary uh, did this accomplished outreach? What What is it? Since you're not going, I don't think, to a classroom situation or a teacher or school board, what, what are you doing to co- accomplish the outreach of the Age of Consequences?
0: Sure, that's a great question. So the main way that we're going to be doing outreach is by partnering with other organizations that are already in the climate and security world. Mm. So there's a center called the Center for Climate and Security, and they've been incredible allies along this process, and they have relationships, deep relationships, and connections to the whole climate and security world. Uh-huh. Um, so they're really kind of our main allies, but then we also have really good relationships with Other security organizations like the Truman National Security Project, um, Operation Free, the Wilson Center, New America Foundation, American Security Project, Partnership for Secure America, and more. And so we've gotten those relationships through interviewees. So some of, we, we interviewed, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 folks that are in the film. And some of them are, you know, the executive directors of some of those organizations I just mentioned. So they have kind of invested interest in the film doing well and in promoting it. So that's great. So we kind of got the blessing of those organizations first. And then from there, we were like, so who else is in this space that we really need to pull in and, you know, partner with? And so just kind of through that, through discussions, we got names and contacts of other folks, introductions. And then I really, you know, spearheaded that and then made sure that I was following up with everyone and have shown the film to I don't know probably around 15 organizations at this point not
2: to their whole member base but just to the decision makers yes so the way yeah so the way that
0: works is the film hasn't even been quite finished yet in fact i think it's going to be finished within the next couple of days but while it's in progress i'm building i'm doing the groundwork to build these relationships with the organizations go to them in person show them the film have a discussion about what they're doing in their work, and how the film can be part of that. And because it's, it's a reciprocal relationship, we're giving them a tool. Mm-hmm. In exchange, they're giving us the contacts and the network. So it's really you know, mutually beneficial. So that's what I mean when I mean outreach. What, uh, what I mean when I say outreach is kind of using the climate security network and partnering with organizations that really know that space.
2: You know, I'm so glad to hear that. And if you haven't heard of or thought of uh, uh, people like, uh, they've been a guest, let me just think a second, Uh, people demanding action, kind of an offshoot of the progressive Democrats of America. But people demanding action are specifically focused on uh, the, the effects of climate change and what they call climate injustice which is uh-huh. some, something you and I can kick around a bit, too, because climate injustice, um, as I understand it, the more I read about it and talk with people who are involved in this in, in every day in their advocacy, it seems to me we forget. Uh, and and part of uh, what the age of consequences, part of what hit me about what I've read about it is that, uh, what was that opening, uh, I read that the... Um, uh, it's it's uh, it, it's investigates the impact of uh, climate change and resource scarcity, and I think I threw in water, air, and food, uh, and and migration and, and conflict, because this all starts where the injustice of climate change happens. Is that this all begins with the poorest of nations, which is why why Americans need to see films like The Age of Consequences, because we are so mesmerized by what we see on television but we don't get to full story and we certainly don't get anything but the headlines at best of something that happens in the poorer nations like the those who are running away from syria trying to migrate to or relocate really i don't think they want to go back uh, in europe and then the conflicts along the borders of hungary and whatever saying no you can't come into our country or even through our country that's how this begins with the poor people, poor nations that we just get as a blip in the news. And with a film, a documentary like The Age of Consequences, I think it it makes us start to think of, well, after those poor nations that we hardly think about are impacted, what's who's next? And I would think uh, the the poor people in America, the poor neighborhoods, the poorest states, the less educated. I'm going on a long time. Please jump in for me, uh, Sophie. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I I think that that, that is definitely a component. The so the the Pentagon thinks of climate change as a threat multiplier, which means that in countries that are already struggling with political, religious and social tensions, when you add the burden of not being able to feed your family, mm-hmm. you are much more likely to take up arms or to revolt. And that's in the film, as we kind of go into the example of the Arab Spring and how wheat prices really skyrocketed after Russia went through an enormous drought. Yes. And then they cut their wheat supply off on the global food market, which really drove the prices of wheat up on the global food market. And Egypt, which is the world's largest importer, in places in Egypt, the price of wheat went up 300%. So when there are already these tensions in Egypt, when you add the burden then of having to pay way more for food and you can't support your family, those tensions that already existed seem much more exacerbated. And that's kind of the, the conflict, and you know that's where the conflict comes in, is people aren't willing to do more when they can't feed their family anymore. Exactly. Um, and that's kind of how climate change interacts with these other variables, and in the film... We were trying to figure out how to visually represent that, and we came up with what we call the nexus, which is kind of this web, which is all of these interconnected kind of data points, and they're all connected, and we kind of take viewers through and start climate change, to drought, to food prices, to migration, poor governance, all of these things interact and can result in conflict, but they don't have to. And I think that that's another thing that we need to think about and... Be talking about is that climate change doesn't equal conflict. It's an opportunity. It's a problem, but it's an opportunity also to really think through how our system and our governance works and how to make that better um, in the face of extreme, you know, extreme weather events um, and extreme problems. We can either take it in the direction of you know poor governance and you know not providing for our people. Or we can think through, okay, we have this big problem, climate change. How are we going to use this as an opportunity to, you know, cooperate and to work with other nations and to work with each other? So that's kind of what we we try and explore in the film.
2: And I appreciate that. The the age of consequences, as I understand it and and if I understand you, does take a half-full glass approach. It doesn't sugarcoat it. It doesn't deny; it exposes, but it says, and we have choices yet on how we respond to this. It's, and that's, and that's where that's where this is all coming from and coming down to. But it is, it is, ultimately about U.S. national security. As long as we realize U.S. national security shouldn't be just about police and military and guns and martial law u s national security is about American families being safe uh, uh-huh. from their government as well as from uh, you know any terrorist or whatever but But to be completely safe, there has to be global stability. We are not okay. alone, and we can't act like we are. Uh, this is all so fascinating and i'm I tell you what let's take a break now. We are talking with Sophie Robinson who is the executive producer of the documentary, The Age of Consequences, uh, which will have its world premiere at the 2016 Hot Docs Canadian International Documentary Festival. Uh, The festival runs from April 28th through May 8th, but The Age of Consequences will uh, be viewed or premiere on May 1st. This is a product of PF Pictures, who who love to say, I love this, we are devoted to artful and arresting stories that make action irresistible. Stay with us. We'll be right back for more with Sophie Robinson.
1: And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. The IMDB summary gives you an idea of the troubling territory that Monsters Ball inhabits. A racist prison guard re-examines his attitudes while falling in love with the African-American wife of the last prisoner he executed. Who would want to see that? You do. Uncompromisingly, the film introduces us to its characters as the despicable beings they are. True, terrible things happen to them. But we cannot help but know that the unpleasant nature of their lives has been brought upon them by their own attitudes and actions. And then, through the course of the film, we enter the lives of our protagonists. We learn where they have come from, and a fragile empathy emerges. This film works, despite all conventional wisdom, in no small part through masterful acting. Halle Berry, Heath Ledger, Billy Bob Thornton, and Peter Boyle all play understated one minute and chew the scenery the next, contributing masterfully. A viewer will also dearly appreciate the respect that the storytellers have for their audience. There is a moment toward the end where the film calls out for a Hollywood on-screen resolution of a conflict newly introduced. Here, however, the filmmakers allow the moment to fade without condescendingly feeding the audience its resolution. At that moment, Monster's Ball becomes perfect. Indie Film Minute. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental.
2: Hello, this is Marcello Rolando again. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices Talk Radio Show. My guest today again is Sophie Robinson. She is the executive producer and director of Outreach for the Age of Consequences, which is a new documentary from PF Pictures, making its world premiere at the 2016 Hot Docs Canadian International Documentary Festival on May 1st. I think we went out with the mission call to action of PF Pictures. We are devoted to artful and arresting stories that make action irresistible, which I'm sure is part of the reason they asked Sophie Robinson to be the executive producer and the director of outreach on the age of consequences. We mentioned in the last segment that her background is very much in political advocacy, especially concerning climate change and what we do with it. I loved one of the things she said, climate change and the strain that it can put on individuals and families and countries and governments. It does not necessarily require conflict for resolution. It does require communication. It does require education. It does require our working together. So I, I think that's where we are, and we're going to continue. I guess we didn't mention and should Jarrett P. Scott directed uh, The Age of Consequences and also directed Requiem for the American Dream, which is the number one documentary on iTunes, by the way. So we are recording this Monday, April 18th, and the festival begins on April 28th, and The Age of Consequences premieres on May 1st. And you mentioned, Sophie, in passing in the last segment that the film isn't quite finished yet. Where, where are we with that?
0: Yeah, great question. So we're literally days away from the film being finished. I mean, we're probably going to uh, give this to the guy who makes it into Blu-rays and what's called a DCP on Wednesday. So, mm-hmm. And today is Monday. So yes. in the next two days, this is a year and a half in the making, and it's just so close to being finished. So what we're working on right now is our sound mixer is going through the audio levels and he's adjusting any audio that, you know, if if two pieces were kind of clipped together and the audio is a little bit awkward, he fixes that so it sounds smooth. Um, And he also is going to add some sound effects, which is pretty exciting for us Mm. because there are a lot of, you know, we do show a lot of conflict shots. And so he's going to make those sound really, really awesome. So that's in the works. Um, our color corrector is going through every frame of the film and making sure that the color levels are are aesthetically pleasing and that you know there's not too much green, there's not too much purple. Mm-hmm. Um, the levels are just right and that the tones are really vibrant and impactful. So that's happening. And our composer is also making some final pieces for the film that are to picture. So he's been producing a lot of pieces for us over the course of the past year. And now that we're in the final stages and what's called picture locked, so that means the, you know, the, the, nothing is changing anymore. The edits are done. So he's able to go through and really compose pieces that, you know, the drum beat leads up to just the right moment. And then, you know, when the certain shot changes, then the music changes. So he's doing that right now as well. So those things are all happening. And then a million other things that, I'm not really involved in, but um, need to
2: happen as well. You know, I never tire of hearing how all the pieces, the mosaic of making a movie, Mm -hmm. come together. All these different departments and artists and, uh, you know, who, who do their piece of it. And then as it gets closer and closer to being finished, all of these pieces come together. And I just, maybe I'm weird, but I just love the term picture lock. I've always loved it. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> For many reasons funny. I guess. Yes. Because, you, know, you want to yeah, go so Oh, true. you can take a deep breath maybe. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. No,
0: that's so it's so true. I just have loved seeing it all come together. It's been such a beautiful and amazing process to, to see it. This is my first film and I haven't been behind the scenes. I've only, you know, experienced the final product and I didn't go to film school. So this is really the first kind of behind the scenes um, experience I'm getting with film and, and it is has been such a
2: beautiful process. And it's so you know, I, well you say this is your first, but uh, I'm, other areas of our world the technology has changed so much and film is no different from that. I mean making movies, uh, not terribly long ago I in an interview with uh, the folks who are they're doing this whole New York thing at the Tribeca Film Festival that will, where the audience will stand in the center and and the 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 band the acid will be playing in the center, but the film it's oh the bomb will be um on eight screens that are floor to ceiling three hundred feet and, and surrounding the audience. I mean the technology wow. uh and the artistry have come together, I think, in some amazing marriage, and can't wait to see what baby it produces. That's all I have to say, okay, you know again, I think film has since its very existence led the way many times if, if film hasn't led the way it at least has pointed out a problem an issue exposed it and then relied on its audiences to get involved but there have been movies that have led the way like for instance in this topic uh in 1968 the shoes of the fisherman with starring anthony quinn as a russian pope with a lawrence olivier playing the um the russian uh soviet uh, uh chairman or whatever And basically, the problem there was the world was about to run out of food. And how, what was China going to do when these millions upon millions had no food? And the Pope, Anthony Quinn, was asked to come up with a solution. So here we are, people in 2016, people fleeing into Europe. And I, I tell people, I don't think they're refugees. I think they're migrants. I think they are moving forever because for them, they've lost everything. What are they going to go back to? How do you think, how does the film address the possibility or does it of a climate change creating permanent relocation, a greater mix of the melting pot, if you will? What do you think?
0: That's a really good question. And we don't go into any solutions in the film. We don't kind of don't give any suggestions or recommendations on how to deal with the migration problem, but we kind of lay out what's happening and why it's happening,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that it is getting worse and worse. I think this past year, in 2015, there were 60 million refugees worldwide. I mean, that's, that's an incredible, incredible number of people. Yeah. And where are they going to go, and what are they going to do? I think this is one of the consequences of climate change. As I was saying, earlier that it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to think, you know, okay, we have this dire situation. We have millions of refugees that are moving on the move. What are we going to do about it? And we have to look to our government because that's, you know, that's the only way we're going to come up with a solution. And we've seen a number of responses this past year, everything from government saying, do not come, we're going to put up more fencing, like not even dare to cross our border mm-hmm. to countries like germany who are like come on in yes. you know we need you we, we we will accept you and you'll be good for our economy you know and and so that's kind of the attitude that i think we try and highlight a little bit in the film but we don't dive into that too much but i think that personally that you know that's that's more of what i would like to see more government saying you know this is actually a great opportunity for us and we need to Figure out how to deal with this situation in the best way possible. That that could be a win-win situation instead of building more walls and being scared. How can we use it as an opportunity to better our
1: own society as well?
2: I think you are so right about that, Sophie. That that is exactly the way we need to be responding. The film I know in in, in deals with uh, how water and food shortages and extreme weather, like drought in California and sea levels that are rising, like in and not only in Florida but in Virginia. It floods every time it rains. That's
0: right. And it's in Norfolk,
2: Virginia, yes. which
0: is the home to our largest naval station in the world. There you are. So this is an incredible problem for our Navy because. The peers that are there are having to be replaced at a cost of billions of dollars to replace mm. these peers, and they have to because otherwise the peers will be flooded more and more, and they won't be able to service the ships when they need to. They won't be able to be prepared to be deployed, and that in and of itself is a huge security issue.
2: Well, you you keep knocking it right out of the park. You got it. It's exactly the point. Exactly the point. And I think. We have examples. We have the great examples of how we ran to the aid with uh, personnel and money for Hades after the earthquake, and we've done things like this forever. But we also have the example of Katrina, when people were left to die and make their way into other communities and have never gone back. And we've just got to prepare for the correct, the moral, pragmatic, financials that we want to take to save, um, save the world. You know, as we save each other individually. What do you think about Noam Chomsky? One of his lines, I know, I love it. He said, you know, the Great Depression was terrible. He lived through it. He says that uh, people had. An expectation of things going to get better sooner or later. Like even the Dust Bowl, 10 years of of, uh, just sand, but people believed we can move, we can see it through, and things got better. But the recent economic shifts kind of equal a climate injustice. And I'd just like to remind, just or, you know, because denial is the worst thing. We deny that this climate change thing is happening and it seems to me it's not only happening but it's accelerating is that an exaggeration
0: not at all it is accelerating i mean if you look at the rate that the arctic ice is melting yes. that's not a that's not a linear melt it's exponential mm. um, and it's happening way faster than our models predicted so it is really scary and i think that that's one of the, you know one of the many things that makes climate change Such a difficult problem to address, to talk about, um, to deal with is because it is getting worse and there's no, you know, it's not getting better. We're emitting more fossil fuels, more carbon than we ever have before, even though we have a great understanding of what's happening. There's an incredible amount of denial, especially from our own government. And that individual actions, you know, although they help a little bit, aren't going to solve this. So I think, you know, climate change is because it poses such an existential threat mm-hmm. and because the solutions are so hard to figure out. It's so complicated and it's so kind of, you know, it's so elusive of what we can actually do.
2: But, you know, somehow through it all, and I, I do believe the solution is in, in unity of purpose, I think. I know that's kind of oversimplified, Absolutely. but what do you think? Absolutely. and. To Snyder
0: who's in our film he's a professor at Yale he -hmm. says you know we're floating in the wrong direction there's an awful lot we have to be worried about and we you know we have a lot to be scared of and although we don't know you know how bad things can get we also haven't reached the limit for what capacity humans have to deal with these kind of things like we don't know that limit in the positive direction either so I don't think yeah I don't think the solution is to just throw up our hands and say well we're totally through it here you know we just have to lie down and and take it you know there there is hope because we wouldn't be having a conversation if there was no
2: hope exactly i mean most of the the greatest challenges that have hit our country i i have only seen in documentaries but that's another wonderful thing about documentaries we can look at them and learn from them as as we certainly will with the age of consequences. And, and I think in many, as as is true in many ways, the public has to lead the government. Uh, mm-hmm. be, uh, be, so we have to educate the government and, and Wall Street with what is needed for our very survival. And I think that is doable. Give us some websites now, you know, where are you on Facebook and Twitter? And so we know how to get in sure. touch, learn more. Of the age of consequences.
0: Yep. So we're on Facebook, just the age of consequences, uh, and then we're also on Twitter, which is at a o consequences. But if you search for age of consequences, you'll find it as well. Okay. Um, and then we have our website, which is theageofconsequences dot com. So um, pretty easy to find. So just type any of those in. And we have a couple of teasers online as well um, that you can find on our website, and we did one through a Kickstarter campaign. So yeah, you can find those, and we'll release an official trailer sometime in the middle of May.
2: Very good. All right, so this is PF Pictures. It is brought to you by a team of folks who've produced Requiem of the American Dream, and as uh, Sophie had been telling us, Disruption, Do the Math, these are all great documentaries. The Requiem of the American Dream, again, is the number one documentary on iTunes. Uh, that, and these documentaries help us to learn about our planet and our life. Uh, but also, uh, we now have at her stepping out party, film party. The uh, Age of Consequences is Sarah Robinson's debut in film as the executive producer and director of Outreach for The Age of Consequences. She is working on a master's degree at Harvard, and she's an experienced, grassroots advocate for the good things, the good fight. Anything, what, what do you want to leave us with, some final thoughts, Sophie? What's, what's your message to us, your individual call to action?
0: Ooh, good question. I guess I would leave audience members with that kind of similar to to the film, that we have a lot of problems, it's it's really scary. Um, Climate change is really scary, especially for me as a young person, I'm 27. I hope to have kids someday, and um, so it can be very scary, but there is so much hope. Um, There's so many organizations that are doing awesome things, so many good people who are fighting the good fight and so many ways that you can get connected and involved in it. So if you're not, you know, someone who wants to go on the streets and be at protests and rallies, that's totally fine. There are a million other ways that you can get involved and, and make a big impact. So I would encourage folks to, you know, find people that are doing work that they're interested in doing and find community in that.
2: Excellent. Community, success, ensemble. That's the way to go. Let's stick together. We've been talking to Sophie Robinson, the executive producer and director of outreach for the documentary, The Age of Consequences. The Age of Consequences is the the hurt locker meets an inconvenient truth and investigates the impacts of climate change, resource scarcity, migration and conflict. But as Sophie and I agree, it doesn't have to be conflict through the lens of the U.S. national security and global stability. Let's be all that we can be by being one nation, one people, one human race working together. How's that, Sophie? That sounds beautiful. Okay. Thank you so much, Sophie Robinson, for being on our show. We wish you all the very best. We hope you'll keep in touch and you'll come back again soon. Okay? Sounds great. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Bye now.
0: Bye.
1: Stay with us as we'll be right back with a final comment from The Reasonable Voice. Now, another film rental discovery.
2: Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. Abu Rayyad is a learned man. He is proud of his thousand book library and has taught himself the language of France. When asked why he has accomplished so little in life, he shrugs it off with, Sometimes things happen that turn you down a different path. Abu earns his way as an airport janitor in Amman, Jordan, and returns to his apartment each night to share tea with a portrait of his wife, the departed love of his life. Closing the windows to muffle out the world, he reads until he sleeps. One day, he brings home a discarded airline captain's hat. When a neighborhood child sees the hat, he assumes Abu is a captain and implores him for stories of adventure. Reveling in the new and unfamiliar importance, Abu shares made-up stories of a boundless world with the neighborhood children living in poverty, but longing for a wider world. Their new hopefulness soon invigorates him, and he begins to take an active role in their mentoring. Captain Abu Rayyad is a far greater film than its humble story suggests. It sneaks up and charms its audience with its simplicity elevated by an actor of extraordinary presence while it's at it it delivers a view into the neighborhoods of amman jordan never before seen in cinema captain nabu riot not in theaters discovery through rental hello i'm marcello rolando the reasonable voice thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world the difference between activity action and expiration dates trump after the arab spring americans claimed nine eleven notwithstanding it couldn't happen here brexit never in america twenty sixteen election the independently fed up aided and abetted by putin allowed a product of commercialized isolationists branding the monroe doctrine as convenient totalitarian international threat to wipe Donald Trump's shoes on Lady Liberty's welcome mat, enticing the underside of democracy with performances depicting the stain on his soles would make America great again. If media action chose more investigative activism than myopic regurgitating, America might have recognized Trump's fifth-grade hyperbole, illustrated an inability to discern reality from show. The question is, do we? When Chuck Todd introduces a news story that has been trending everywhere for over a week, not as breaking news, but rather, you probably know, there is hope that American media may once again be the fourth estate before smartphones, social media, and the failure to read beyond 140 characters finalizes its expiration date. However, golden April showers from Rainmaker Russians makes for mangled election flowers choking from lost rainforest paradise, tangled in first 100 days action pretense and deceptive activities behind Mar-a-Lago walls. What is America's expiration date on giving the Trumped a chance while Arkansas races the clock with human life expectancy against drug expiration? what is the value of supreme unction if self-inflated trump's trial balloon gorsuch chooses gop southern strategy over america's merciful soul don't incidents of domestic violence increase when corporate and government leaders use bully pulpits to incite violence what happens when governors, cabinet members, and members of Congress act against LGBT community, equal rights amendment ratification, gender income parity, minimum wage, and budgets of organizations that nurture mind, body, and soul, like Medicaid, National Endowment of the Arts, after-school programs, Planned Parenthood, NPR, the Affordable Care Act, social security national endowment of the humanities and daca aren't we going in the wrong direction when a president doesn't have the sense of direction to know in what direction a very powerful armada is headed where is gun violence activity destined when an increase of easily available guns exceeds our financial support for research to cure alzheimer's disease autism schizophrenia cancers heart disease stroke and perhaps even closed minds. National decay revels in actions that encore history's greatest shames, rather than endorse unlimited vision of scientific enlightenment, affordable health care, and the value of funding quality public education. Russian Trump seeding new growth theory risks reason's extinction by denial. Both gardens of thinkers and thoughtless stewards too preoccupied to cry out from the hacked wilderness fail to hear this last call. The most essential life statistic is the tally of our contributions to fellow soulmates before inevitable expiration date. I'm a fan rarely in disagreement with Andrew Sullivan, but if his theory suggesting Americans voted for Trump because immigrants make them desperate for a reconfirmation of their national identity is correct, then unless we radically change course between 2018 and 2020, our next historical date of note will be the expiration date of our exceptionalism experiment. In April 1564, Shakespeare was born, and for more than five centuries, his work has enriched the soul of humankind, art, culture, education, history, music, politics, and theater in all their global diversity. In April 2017, a dozen years after a five-week-old proved, actions speak louder than words by leaping from her crate past the gloved vet attendant, running up my arm and perching on my shoulder, immediately purring. Soulmate, born with only three good legs, a bad liver, and questionable kidney functions, unbeknownst to either of us, took our last drive together Thursday, April 20th staring up at me with eyes eternally grateful, having never forgotten what her life could have been on the streets, she marked me one last time. America still has time, if not to save itself from self-inflicted truth decay, then at least to delay extinction via Trump, but only if we can distinguish the difference between self-serving activity and justice for all, and act like it. Climate change denial is no match for an expiration date. Soulmate taught me, it's not roots, but how we flower. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.